Hello and welcome to the Top Order Podcast, New Zealand, Sri Lanka. We were worried about the rain. I was worried about sort of everything, but the Black Caps delivered a big win to take a giant leap towards the semifinals. All of that and more coming up right after the swish. So, Baldy, uh, how are you? It's uh, it's been a while, but it's uh, it's another good morning to be a Black Caps fan. I think uh, you know when when you probably looked at the the whiteboard for New Zealand and and the plan that they had on there for their game last night. I think it would have been pretty much turn up, Kane. You got to win the toss, bowl first. Then we got to bowl Sri Lanka out cheaply. And then we've got to chase it down really quickly. And uh, if you're just looking at those three metrics, pretty good day for New Zealand. Good morning, Stu. You're uh, very chipper this morning, as I would expect from you this morning. I think yesterday's game for New Zealand was brought to you by the number two and the letters DLS. If it was a, a episode of Sesame Street, I think that would have been brought to you by those letters and numbers. New Zealand really needed, first and foremost, to get the two points, didn't they, last night? And they did that. They got the W, they avoided the dreaded DLS, which was a good thing for New Zealand, but you could see throughout their, both their batting and their bowling innings, particularly in the power plays, this was all about taking chances, taking risks, uh, enough risks that they could get ahead of the game should rain intervene at Bengaluru. In the end, it didn't, and New Zealand were comfortable winners against Sri Lanka in a game that I think will do them a bit of confidence going into into the semi-finals. They've now all but booked their spot. Uh, we can do the permutations for semi-finals now or later if you like, but it would take some really unusual circumstances for New Zealand to miss out from here, having moved to 10 points and all but booked another semi-final against the host nation, India. Yeah, yeah. Look, we, yeah, well, let's talk about the permutations at the end because, uh, yeah, there are there are still a few and uh, I'm sort of the, the person that, that doesn't like to to tick all the boxes and and proclaim that you're you're into something until you've actually can all of that is confirmed. You know, I'm sort of I'm sure lots of people went to bed at 128 for nine last night here in New Zealand and thought thought okay, cool, that's game over. I don't have to watch this. And yeah, here's me thinking I need to need to stay up and make sure it doesn't rain. And then I need to watch New Zealand bat. And then you know what happens if this happens and you know, so yeah, I was I was right there till the end at about three thirty in the morning. I swear that last wicket partnership from uh, from Thikshana and uh, Madhushanka cost me about an hour and a half to two hours of, of sleep, which is was a bit niggly. Uh, you know, as as I'm sitting here now uh, on a thir- Thursday, Friday morning, it is here in Friday New Zealand. Friday morning, Stuart. Yeah, uh, but really, it was a, a, a tale of two power plays. I think, as as you said to me just before we recorded. Uh, New Zealand, that first power play uh, picked Southie. What I really liked was Southie and Bolt swinging the ball. And and I think, look, Bolt's going to get all of the, the credit, I think, and, and got a lot of the talk about uh, the way he bowled in this uh, in this power play because we hadn't really seen wickets from Trent Bolt and we got some today, which was really, really vital. Um, but I actually thought Tim Southie opened up really, really well. And, and I think his the first over that he bowled kind of set the tone for the rest of the day. Absolutely. It was a tale of two power plays, Stu. All it was missing, I mean, if you look at the scorecard, after 10 overs, 5 for 70 Sri Lanka, or 5 for 74, I think it might have been. Uh, all it was missing was Bill Laurie's voice rattling around in my head with some, got him, yes, and it's all happening here in Bengaluru. Uh, so that's all it was really missing, I think. Uh, we got some vintage Ian Smith commentary again. But back to the actual cricket, Southie's first over was perfect. 
you know, he kissed mm. the seam uh, to dismiss, uh, I think it was Pasum, uh Nisanka, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I get dyslexia with his first and last initials. Um, But the ball before could have had um, could have had Kusal out, uh, were Mm. it not for I I would have to say a pretty lazy effort from Tom Latham uh, at that point. I think he took that catch for granted, grasped it. Um, Slight concern for New Zealand fielding. I want to come back onto that before we finish the pod because there's a slight concern about New Zealand's catching standards for me still, Uh, but. Southey was just superb in that first over. That cross-seam delivery, as I said, to catch the first edge, stood the seam up beautifully then to swing it away, a little bit off the deck, and and caught uh, Nisanka's Nisanka's edge, who's been Sri Lanka's best batter in this tournament, or at least their most consistent batter. And from there, Sri Lanka decided to attack, and that worked right into New Zealand's hands. Bolt did get wickets. He got just reward, I think, for some toil earlier in the tournament where he wasn't as successful. Cashed in with a couple of, you know, there was a slice down to third man. Good catch from Ravindra. Picked up an LBW. Very, very good review. Uh, I think immediately mm. someone said, no, that's both pads. And if it's no bat, he, he's out. Very good review from New Zealand. And by the end of the power play, once that uh, very, very dubious catch was taken between <laughs> between Santner and Kane, there was confusion all <laughs> over the place. But but fortunately, it went to hand. And then once Casal was out, that was five for 74 uh, only a rear guard action could sh- could save Sri Lanka. And as you say, uh, that last partnership between uh, Madhushanka and Thikshana got Sri Lanka to some kind of respectability in the scoreline. But at 121 for nine, it was New Zealand's game to win and, and they won very well from there. So lots to like about a vintage power play performance from Saudi and Bolt. And that will stand them in very, very good stead going up against an Indian lineup. If they can trust that they can swing the ball early and India know that they are going to have to deal with a little bit of movement early on in either the first or the second innings, then that will be all to the good for New Zealand because I think the key to beating India will be containing them uh, in the power play and picking up two or three early wickets to make sure that India are facing a situation where they can't just go big from overs 11 to 40. They have to rebuild back into the game. Absolutely, and I and I think uh, Bolt picking up wickets as much as um, you know, as I said, I don't think it was absolutely vintage Trent Bolt. It was uh, you know he he did bowl very well, and and uh, yeah, I think the the Asalanka LBW that the one that they did review, I think that is sort of the perfect example of of what Bolt can do. Kind of you know targeting the stumps, hitting pads, hitting hitting wickets, and I think that. Uh, they talked about it in the commentary, and I think it was Ian Smith that was mentioning it. That he's just a different character when he's taking wickets, and and that sort of lifts the group. He's a he's a happier person. Obviously, I think you know we all are kind of when when things are going well as compared to to things that are, are, are challenging. But you could see in the last couple of games when when he hasn't been taking wickets, and it just seemed to be weighing on him. He you could see that he wasn't smiling as much out in the field, and and it's been a challenge for New Zealand. Yeah, picking up wickets in the power play, but also um, the last couple of games, sort of just picking up wickets in general and and really, I suppose, stemming the flow because we've had times, I mean, even in this game, and it, and it, and it almost sort of looked that way at one point when Cusal Pereira yeah, gets dropped earlier. I think you're spot on. It wasn't the greatest day for, for Tom Latham out there today, but... Uh, not Pakistan. I, I'm still having awful memories of that fucker's a man innings 
but Sri Lanka's, uh, they were 70 for three off eight overs. <laughs> Pereira was just hitting it to all parts. He was, you know, anything slightly full was was going. And, and you know, it, it looked like they could score an enormous total if he kept going. And, and I think the, the real uh, point that I want to make, I suppose, around uh, New Zealand's bowling attack in that power play and, and sort of going forward that we haven't seen for a couple of games is the return of Lockie Ferguson. Because, as I said, it's been a real struggle. Even Mitchell Santner has struggled to kind of pick up wickets through the middle period. And I know the eighth over and the ninth over isn't really the middle period. But as soon as uh, Southie started to get hit, Bolt started to get hit, we were able to actually bring on Lockie Ferguson, who actually provided it a little bit different. It's, it was something that we could do that was different. And bringing him on, he was able to pull his length slightly slightly back. And suddenly, Cusel Pereira could not jump on the front foot, skies that one up, and Mitchell Santner and, and Kane Williamson get into a bit of a tangle. But uh, good old flat line, uh, the, as they call Mitchell Santner, was able to stay calm and take that catch. And yeah, it's, it, as you say, from there, it, it was such a, yeah, such a weird kind of uh, thing for Sri Lanka. They score 70 in that first eight overs, and then for the next almost 40 overs, they scored 100. So it was it was a very weird game from then on. Yeah, it was all about survival, I think, for Sri Lanka from, from the power play onwards. I think for New Zealand in that bowling innings, they'll take a lot out of the fact that A, Lockie was able to get through 10 overs, but he got through 10 overs only conceding 35 runs. He pitched in two wickets. But I think it will do him a lot of confidence to get through a lot of bowling without going uh, at, at five and a half or six or seven and over, which I think is huge for New Zealand. Mitchell Santner, as you say, always does Mitchell Santner things. Uh, he ended up with a Benno in this game, two for 22 off his 10. Ravendra, two for 21, almost a Benno as well. Um, so there's lots to like about that New Zealand bowling performance. A little bit better in the catching department, and this would have been a complete... Uh, outing for New Zealand in the field. Yeah, I, I, can we talk more about Mitchell Sen? I know we've talked about him a lot in this this tournament, but um, he was lovely. He, he honestly, uh, they, I know the word "lovely" is uh, I think for non New Zealand listeners, they'll they'll think uh, they won't be aware that Trent Bolt uh, is the one normally associated with the word "lovely" here in New Zealand. But I, I really can't think of a better word to describe Mitchell Santner's spell. He extracted a lot of turn. I think I saw at um, at some point in the commentary a little graphic come up, and it was you know most degrees of turn, average degrees of turn throughout this tournament. And Mitchell Santon was at the top. And when I think about, yeah, I had the same reaction for for listeners that aren't watching us on YouTube. Baldy's kind of arched back in in a, a bit of a surprised reaction, and and I had the same thought and. You know, again, the graphic did come up very quickly, so maybe I maybe it was distorted in some way. But actually, when you, when I try and think about other spinners in this tournament who spin the ball, like, there aren't you know there aren't any that really really spin it big. And and Mitchell Santner has been turning the ball. Uh, Michael Atherton talked about him with glowing praise uh, during the innings. He said that he was his favourite bowler to watch in the entire tournament, which I think you know goes a long way. And and that's Probably not something that's thrown out there uh, and and given to to someone just on the spur of the moment. I, I feel like that's Atherton. You know, I think we we give his words a lot of credit. So yeah, the way he was able to, 
I don't know, even the two wickets, right? He picks up, caught it slip. And I know I go on a lot about uh, people going through the gate, but I think as a spinner, that that is also a dream delivery when you're, you're, you know, you're, ter- you're drifting it in. It's the same kind of thing. It's just complete deception where you're drifting it in, turning it away, hitting the top of uh, someone's bat and, and picking up the wickets. So yeah, look, he's been superb throughout this tournament and the way he was able to bowl last night and, and, it was just an exhibition and a masterclass of what he's he can do, and I think now he's seen you know he's seen the reward of that with his test selection. You know, it's not really relevant to this World Cup discussion, but the fact that he's been able to develop over the last twelve months, and and particularly in his ability to spin the ball, has got him back in the test side to to go to Bangladesh, and yeah, he can. I think he can, as someone who is. I don't know, in, in uh, business terms, you'd call a mid-career or even late, you know, late career sort of person to to develop skills, I think, to, you know, deserves a lot of credit. So, yeah, I think he, again, showed his class last night. Yeah, 100%. Not, not the guy that I would think of when I think of big turners of the cricket ball. But, you know, stats don't lie. Uh, Binksy would disagree. Um, but <laughs> but in this case, you know, if he is turning the ball more than anyone else, that's that's the outcome. I think Santner is one of those guys that is just constantly working on on improving his game, right? And even since he's come into the New Zealand side, since he's emerged in international cricket, he's one of those guys who's never been content with what they've got. He's always working to improve his batting, uh, to improve his, his fielding. The thing that has always impressed me about Mitchell Santner is that he seems to outperform his natural skill set, if you like. You know, you, you look at guys like uh, Maxwell, for example, immense mm. uh, immense range of skills and physical abilities, but you don't always see the fruition of that. Oh, you did the other night, to be fair. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it's the same with, with a guy like, like Harry Brook or Ben Stokes. You, you don't always see Ben Stokes deliver to the standard that he's capable of on his best day. But you feel like with Mitchell Santner, Mitchell Santner has his best day eight out of 10 times. Eight out of 10 times he goes onto the cricket field. He has about as good a day as he can have. And when he's contributing to New Zealand's effort, he's contributing with bat and ball and in the field. And Flatline is a terrific nickname for him because he's he's just always there. The difference between his best day and his worst day on the cricket field is very minimal. And New Zealand, as a, as a unit, their DNA is, is built around that, right? We have our good days eight out of 10 times and we compete with sides even when we're not playing at our best because we're able to have a very, very small margin between our, our best performance and our worst performance. Let's move on, Stu, I think. Can we move on to New Zealand's batting innings? Because I think if you just look at the scorecard, five for 171, 45, 42, 14, 43, seven, and then a couple of not outs at the end. Does it make for brilliant reading? But we need to sc- we need to throw the scorecard away on this one and actually look at what happened during New Zealand's batting innings to to get a better picture of what this game was all about, right? Yes, I think spot on because you know New Zealand were obviously when you're going into a, a chase like this and and particularly with this tournament scenario, right? As I said, right at the opener, it was about trying to boost New Zealand's net run rate. It was firstly about getting the getting the win, but then it was about boosting the net run rate so that they were. Uh, as as unassailable to Pakistan and Afghanistan as possible in terms of the rest of the tournament and booking that semi-final spot. And yeah, at 50 for none after 6.3 overs and, and then 73 for none after 10, 
it was it was a case of you know win rather than if for New Zealand about chasing that total down and look you know I, I think if we go through the individual dismissals some of them you're probably not going to be that thrilled with Conway seemed to get uh, a bit rattled by Chimera Chimera ran in looked really lively hit Conway on the gloves hit you know hit his hit the uh, handle of his bat a couple of times and uh, it looked like Conway went well I've had enough of this and I'm going to run down the wicket and try and uh, you know, put him put him out of the attack and and got a an inside edge that went to mid wicket. I think for for him it was a bit of a shame because he sort of I mean obviously scored 150 not out in the first game, but since then has hasn't uh, look he's looked still very very good and in form and uh, is hitting the ball nicely, but he's sort of finding different ways to get out and often you know, tickling it down the leg side or, you know, hitting it reasonably well, but straight to a fielder. So yeah, a, a bit of a challenge there and um, a shame to a shame for him to be getting out in that way. So yeah, unfortunate that that happened, but really, you know, they were cruising. They were in charge of that game. They had it under control. Yes, Ravindra gets out for 40 odd. Um, you know, Chapman, I'm, I think will be well, probably furious at Daryl Mitchell uh, for for the way that he was run out, and and that Daryl Mitchell ran straight past him as the the in batter, and and Chapman sort of gracefully, kind of sort of just remained out of his crease, and then threw his hands up in the air and walked off. Um, but yeah, look, you know, a few a few wickets there that fell at the end, but yeah, I think a a, a reasonably they'll be still reasonably happy with with how they went about that chase and to get it. You know, in the in the twenty fourth over, I think it was in the end, it, it puts them in a, a really really strong position to to make the semifinals. Yeah, the the story behind the scorecard really is that New Zealand needed to make sure that they were ahead of ahead of the rate, both in terms of DLS, our our sponsors for this evening's or this morning's podcast, and also for that all important net run rate. Right, so the most important figure on that scorecard is their is their run rate in that inning seven point three seven a boost to their net run rate because, of course, if you bowl the side out, that assumes that their runs are scored over the period of 50 overs. So Sri Lanka's actual run rate is somewhere around, what's that, less than three and a half throughout the course of a 50-over inning. So for New Zealand, that is a huge net run rate boost. Three and a half plays sort of 7.37. So a, a really good boost for New Zealand in the context of this tournament because net run rate now becomes potentially the differentiating factor when it comes to playing in the semi-finals. Um, as you say, risks taken throughout the innings, uh, 70 for none after 10 was set up the chase for New Zealand and then they were able to go on and in the last 14 overs they got the other you know other 100 to get them home. So a, a great performance for New Zealand's batters. They had to take that level of risk. I don't think that there's any issue with that. The only thing I think that is probably worth mentioning in the team meeting afterwards is uh, Daryl Mitchell has absolutely barbecued Mark Chapman there. Um, so whether or not there's a, a packet of uh, delicious uh, ribs waiting at uh, Chapman's house to go in the deep freeze when he gets back to New Zealand after the World Cup, I think that remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, Daryl Mitchell owes Chapman one, I believe. But other than that, a pretty good performance for New Zealand. Nothing to to be concerned about. Uh Anything else that we want to cover in the batting innings before we look ahead to these um, permutations for semifinals and we go to the maths desk? 
Yeah, bef- before you get out all, all your numbers, I, I think probably the, the one thing I, I do want to say, and it's more around Sri Lanka, and uh, it's, it's sort of something that I found interesting with, because this is, look, this is, you know, I think without a shadow of a doubt, been an incredibly disappointing campaign for Sri Lanka. I, I actually haven't looked at the table this morning, but I imagine that that net run rate hit for them is going to make it very, very difficult for them to qualify for the Champions Trophy. Uh, they'll be rooted towards at least uh, the bottom, or you know, nine or ten on the table. Um, but the interesting thing that I found was that Russell Arnold uh, on the commentary, they were talking to him about, you know, what does Sri Lankan do? What are the what are the outcomes of of this negative tournament? And he was very much in the camp of, you know, pleading for patience. I think really with this group and and you know making the point that it is a, a, a like some of the core players are very young and um, very inexperienced at this level you know even someone like Thikshana I saw that he uh I don't know he I don't know if he brought up his 50th ODI wicket but he was uh, he's if he didn't in this game he's very close and and that number seemed very low to me and you know with the amount of cricket that he's played and in these franchise tournaments and T20 cricket and stuff like that but you know look they're missing Hasaranga they're missing uh Patirana who you know, was having a pretty terrible tournament, to be fair, before he was ruled out with injury. But yeah, there are a lot of young players in this group. And, and I did find it interesting that, that Russell Arnold was very much saying, we just got to stick with these guys. And look, in four years time, things might be much, much better because I, I'm sure there will be a, a thought, I, I, I could be getting this wrong again, but I, I think they've sacked all their board or something. There's There's been some rumblings already in Sri Lanka around you know, there's there's often uh, you know challenges in the political side of things for for Sri Lankan cricket, but yeah, I, I really there there is some talent there for Sri Lanka, and, and I do hope that they can stick with it and and kind of develop because yeah, there are some some talented players in that squad. Oh, there's a hugely bright future for Sri Lanka if they could keep some of these young fellas together. Madhu Shankar has been a breakout performer for them in this World Cup. We've seen the emergence of uh, of Asalanka in the last twelve to eighteen months. Samaravik Rama is also a very, very promising cricketer. You've got the two Kusals at the top of the order, and Patham Nasanka, whose name I get wrong consistently, is also uh, is also a promising international cricketer. He's been probably their best performer with the bat so far in this World Cup, and he is also one for the future. So, uh, if you combine that with um, with uh, a couple of spinners in Hasaranga and Thikshana. There's the makings of a good cricket side there. Unfortunately for Sri Lanka, there's not a tremendous amount of depth. And once those injuries start to hit, then you see them become a team that isn't as competitive with sides that have tremendous depth in world cricket. And that's a function both of their first class system and the small population that lives in Sri Lanka relative to Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, their their sort of subcontinental Asian neighbours. Uh, you touched on the political situation. Yeah, it's an absolute shambles at the moment in Sri Lanka. I don't think there's any avoiding or denying that. The entire board has been asked to step down by the sports minister. Of course, the sports minister has been involved in uh, Sri Lankan cricket for many, many years now, um, contrary to the kind of wishes of the ICC that that politics and cricket administration remain independent of each other. Uh, Juna Ranatunga has recently tried to form a new organising body for Sri Lankan cricket. That's now been struck down. So there are many, many challenges for Sri Lanka off the field to uh, sort out their cricket, which has been in disarray for some time. And it's no surprise, really, given that 
there are political struggles going on in that country, economic struggles going on in that country. So there are heaps and heaps of challenges for these young cricketers to overcome just to get on the field, uh, just to get to play games of cricket at the highest level. And it can't be easy to put aside all those distractions and give your best performance uh, on the on the park. So I think there's lots of promise. I would also, if I was Russell Arnold or anyone involved in Sri Lankan cricket, be preaching patience for these players and for the fans. Yes, it's been a very disappointing tournament, but I think you can point to some of those names we've mentioned as being very bright spots in the future of Sri Lankan cricket. And I think the way for them is up from here if they can keep those players and develop some other young uh, players in their first-class system. If they can find some jewels, some diamonds in the rough, I think there's a potentially a way forward. But the political situation, the organisation of cricket in Sri Lanka definitely needs some attention if Sri Lanka are to go forward. Absolutely, and and yeah, let's hope let's hope it's it's up up and up from from here for for Sri Lanka. Hit us with the stats now, Baldy. Give us all all of the permutations. Are we in? Is New Zealand in? Can I can I sort of you know book my day off for for Thursday again so that I'm I'm bright you know don't have to turn up to work after a, a full semi final. Look, Stu, I think what you need to do is you need to go out into your backyard and just scan the chickens. I wouldn't start counting Princess Leia and and all the rest of them uh, at this point. Um, So New Zealand's net run right now, plus 0.743. That's ahead of Pakistan and also Afghanistan. They're the two teams with a game in hand that can catch New Zealand on 10 points. The the scenario for Pakistan, they need to beat England by 287 uh, batting first. If... If Pakistan chase in the England game, if England are to bat first, then Pakistan, I don't think, well, and per Crick Info, have a chance of qualifying. The chance for Afghanistan is even more outrageous. They need to beat South Africa and beat them by about 438 runs or thereabouts per Crick Info uh, to have a chance of increasing their net run rate above that of New Zealand. So, uh, some absolutely outrageous results need to take place over the next couple of nights for New Zealand to miss out on the semi-finals. Like I said, don't be counting your chickens just yet, but I think just just making sure that they're all in the yard is appropriate at, at this point. And I would start preparing um, your commentary for uh, your next appearance on Fan Wars uh, in 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 YouTube as New Zealand will come up against India potentially in a in a semi-final. So you can reprise your role on that fantastic show and also get ready for a semi-final preview that's coming up this week on the top order. Oh, that's that all sounds very encouraging. Uh, it, the the um, the fact that it doesn't sound that far-fetched that Pakistan could beat England by 287, I don't know what that means for uh, for Pakistan. Maybe the, like those Fakhrizaman scars are still there. For me, and also, I guess, says a little bit about England's campaign so far, but England obviously getting back in the winner's circle yesterday sort of uh, gives me some confidence and maybe they can just win the toss and, and, uh, and uh, bat first and then uh, and then we don't have to even worry about it. But yeah, look, all, all to play for, I guess, still for, for those two teams in the coming days. Uh, no doubt we will, as you said, look forward to uh, being on the on the mornings and, and giving you the daily updates. These these daily updates we're we're almost at the end of them, but um, and we're we're very much looking forward to to getting back in the same room, hopefully over the next few days as well. Once these semi final spots are confirmed and, and doing a, a more extended look at uh, how these semi finals might play out and and who might win this tournament. 
uh, I think we might leave it there for today. Can I leave you with a glass half full, Stu? Glass half full. Pakistan need to bet first, make 350, and then bowl England out for 63. That's your scenario. So go to bed tonight. 350 plays 63. That's your scenario. 330 would mean that they need to bowl England out for 43. And I think that's, I think, tempting fate, I think that's unlikely. I hope you're right. I hope you're right, Baldy. Um, uh, yeah, as you say, I'm, I'm looking at those chickens, but uh, I, uh, I'll wait. I'll wait till I to, uh, I wait till it actually happens before I count them. But yeah, on that very positive note, we will leave it there for this morning. Uh, thank you very much for for tuning in and and all your support over this tournament. Uh, and we'll be back again tomorrow. You enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much.